Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you sent your son for us. And we pray in this moment that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us through the power of your word. You said that it has the power to dive into the deepest parts of who we are and divide what needs to be divided and to shed light where we need light to be shed. So we ask for that in this moment. We don't need the eloquence of a speaker. We need the power of God. And so we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Welcome to church. It's a good day to be in the house of God, isn't it? Three of you believe that. It's exciting. I've got my work cut out for me today. Just kidding. If you have a Bible, go to Galatians chapter 4. We're in the sixth part of a series on Galatians. And uh, what we've been doing over the past few weeks is really diving in and unpacking some of the greatest and most glorious and the most impactful and important doctrines that the Bible has to offer. And so, so we walked through what it means to have, to be justified by faith. What some have called the most important doctrine uh, in the Christian faith. And the reason that it's so important is because if God didn't intervene, you are still without hope. You know, because it doesn't take a lot for me to convince you that the world is broken. It doesn't take me a lot to convince you that you are broken, that things are not as they should be. But the scripture says, but God at just the right time came. And that's the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so he came to earth. He lived a perfect life that you couldn't live. He died on the cross to pay for your sin and for mine. And then three days later rose so that you could have life. And so if you've never been to church before, that is literally why we do what we do. It's that simple. And we're going to unpack some things today that I think will help you understand that a little bit better. But as we move from those massive doctrines like justification by faith and into what we talked about last week, adoption into the family of God and how that's the most precious of the Christian faith. And that you've been moved from a slave to a son and given all the rights of a son. You can catch those sermons on our podcast or on Facebook or on our website if you miss those because there's a lot to fill in on that. But, but as we move from that into Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writing to these churches and writing to us is going to transition his talk to the people. And so we, we, we've been hearing his teaching, and now he's going to bring it to you and me. He's going to look us in the eye, and he's going to offer us some things that are very important, and the freedom that we have in Christ. But I want you to think about some things as we get started this morning, that many voices in Western culture, in our culture, uh, 
view Christianity, so we talk a ton here about good news, and we talk a ton here about being set free, and a ton about freedom. But many voices in our Western culture view Christianity as an enslaving religion. And that's just a fancy way to say, and if you're new to church, this this is just, maybe you feel this way. That one of the struggles for you to come to Christ is that uh, he does a lot of telling you what to do and what not to do. That's at a basic level what a lot of people struggle with. There's a Canadian writer named Charles Taylor who writes about this and says that our problem with Christianity is that it takes away the freedom to choose, the commitment to authenticity, the ability to self-identify. That in today's society, we can choose our economic status, we can choose our gender, we can choose our view of life, our view of marriage, and really anything we want. It's a sort of anti-authoritarian worldview. And that's what he suggests is the best way forward for you and for me. And maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you're not a Christian and you've walked in here for whatever reason and you would say, yeah, that sounds good to me. Or maybe one of those things you, you see that the Bible says no to that you might struggle with. But this, of course, isn't new. One of the great philosophers and theologians of the past was a guy named Augustine. And he was a a great Christian. But before coming to Christ, before converting to Christianity, he wrote that he was fearful to do so because he was afraid and fearful that he'd lose his pleasures. Maybe you're a Christian today and you can relate to that, that it was difficult for you to come all the way to Christ because you were afraid you're going to lose your pleasures. We identify with that. But here's what he wrote after following Christ. When he converted to Christianity, when he bowed the knee to Jesus, here's what he said. We humans are restless until we find our rest. In Christ. It's pretty good. That in all of the searching that we do to find pleasure, it always eludes us until we find ourselves at the feet of Christ. If you're not a Christian today, I want you to know that all of the pursuit, all of the searching, all of the tries for pleasure that have eluded you can be found in Christ. A hippie from the 1970s said it this way. We took what we wanted until we found out that we no longer wanted what we took. And doesn't that sound like life in a nutshell? Even after coming to Christ, right? We spent time a few months ago talking about Paul's words in Romans where he says, I, and this is one of the giants of our faith, right? The guy who wrote Galatians and we're going to study today. His testimony was, man, even after coming to Christ, I do the things I don't want to do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? You say, welcome to church. I'm glad you're here for the first time, (laughs) right? You're like, we're a good news church. Not really, man. That was really depressing, right? But why do we say all that? Because what we're talking about is freedom 
and slavery. Freedom and slavery. Because what appears to be freedom in this life, what often promises you freedom in this life, the pleasures of this life, are actually slavery. And what appears to be enslaving to most of the world is actually the path to pure freedom. But here's what we know at Redeemer City Church and what we want you to know if you're not a church person, that we recognize that we need supernatural help. We need Holy Spirit filled up kind of help to resist the devil and pursue God. We can't do that by ourselves. And so, for three chapters in Galatians, Paul's been teaching us what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to be adopted into the family of God. And now he's going to come, and he's going to say, my brothers and sisters. And in another place, he's going to call them children. And he's going to, you know, I have three kids, eight, six, and two, and and every now and then I gotta I gotta come to my kids and I gotta get down on one knee because I'm a giant and they are not. And I gotta look them in the eye and I have to remind them, you are a coon. It's my last name if you're new. You're like, a what? <laughs> you're a coon. And coons act differently. There's things coons do, there's things coons don't do. So when you walk in their house, you are not going to act like an idiot. No, I'm just kidding. But you, you know what I'm saying, right? Like if you've had kids, like there, there are things that coons do. And, and what Paul's going to do and what God and Jesus Christ are going to do is that for us this morning. They're going to get down on one knee and they're going to look us in the eye as a loving father. And they're going to say, this is who you are. And this is what that means. So that, that's where I want to get us to today. And we, we've got some grand things to cover. But I want to do it in three parts. And I want to do it in three prayers. I want to encourage you to, to write these down. If you've got your worship guide, the notes will be in there. You can fill in the blanks or you can get on the Version Bible app. Go under events and you'll find the same notes there. But what, what I want you to see and what I want to challenge you with is three things that from the from the heart of God, prayers that I want to encourage you to pray. And I want to encourage you to internalize. And if you're not a Christian today, I would encourage you to consider these three things. And if whether or not these things might be what you've been searching for in your life. So if you have a Bible, go to Galatians chapter 4. If not, it'll be on the screen, so don't worry about it. But we're going to start in verse 8. We're going to start in verse 8. And here's where Paul... Well, let me, let me tell you who Paul is, So, if you're new. Paul, Paul was a, a bad guy. He was a bad guy. And he was persecuting Christians and killing Christians. And God miraculously saves him, turns his life around, and he becomes one of the heroes of our faith. That's the super Cliff Notes version. And you should look up more about him. But, so... He, he gets saved, comes to Christ, becomes one of the heroes of our faith, and he wrote a lot of our New Testament. And this particular book of Galatians, he's writing to a group of churches and to us 
about what it means to be set free by the grace of God and then what it means to live in it. And so we're transitioning from where he's teaching us about the grand doctrines of our faith and we're going to transition into what that looks like when the rubber meets the road, what that looks like in life. And then next we're going to look at what it means to walk in that. But here we are in Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Here's what he says. He's writing to this group of Christians and he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. What he's saying is, if you do not know Christ today, where you find yourself is not actually in freedom. As Charles Taylor said, remember that we lose our freedom to choose. What Paul is saying, that freedom to choose that you think you have is actually slavery. Because you're never going to find what you're looking for. You're never going to fill that hole in your heart that only God can fill. You will pursue that pleasure to the end of its rope and you'll be found wanting. Paul says you were slaves to those who by nature are not God. Verse 9. Now for those of us who are Christians, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. And maybe you didn't come to Christ because seems to be really easy for you to turn back to the things that you used to have. Somebody lift up your voice and say, this is serious. <laughs> I want to skip the middle section and come back to it. Jump down to verse 21. Paul's going to take us back to the Old Testament here. Take us back to the Old Testament. A few weeks ago, we studied about Abraham and his wife and how God brought the promise of Jesus through Abraham's line and blessed all the families of the earth. And we studied that, but he's going to bring us back to this concept here. And for good reason. Listen to what he says. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? What does that mean? Well, he says, you who want to be under the law. See, there's this, there's this thing in the human heart that, uh, always wants to believe that we bring something to the table. That we have some kind of a talent or some kind of a plan that can contribute to what God has already done. And we may not say that theologically, but we believe that practically. Because all of your life is built around this idea that if you perform, you get paid. Your whole life. Your whole life is built on that. It's how we do life in capitalism. It's just the way it is. Perform and get paid. But God's economy is different than that. 
God's economy is Jesus on the cross, breathing his last. It is finished. What I need you to know is if you're not a Christian today, that you don't bring anything to the table. That there's not a single thing you can do to earn your spot in heaven. There's not a single thing you can do to earn favor with God. You don't deserve it and you can't earn it. But the good news today for you is that it's completely free. And we'll get there in a second, but for those of us who do know Christ, there is this tendency for us to always want to move past the good news of the gospel and believe that there is in some way, shape, or form something that I must do to keep the favor of God. And what Paul is saying is there are two ways that you can step back into slavery. The first one, verse 9 says, is you can just love your own pleasure so much that you just believe that you need it even though you're walking with Christ. That you can return to the slavery of the things of this world, to the sins and pleasures of this world. Because you just believe in your heart that you need that to satisfy That Jesus Christ isn't enough for you. And Paul is begging you to not walk back into that. But he's also looking at those of us who are Christians. And saying that there's this other tendency that you can run towards. And if you're not a Christian, maybe this has been your experience in the church. And one of the reasons you don't like the church is because the other thing that happens to Christians is we can get so wrapped up in doing things for God and building these preferences that we become unattractive to the church to the to the lost world. And so the first prayer that arises out of this text for for those of us who are Christians is this God show us how to walk in your grace. Show us how to walk in your grace. Because there's an example here as we keep reading at the end of the chapter here from the Old Testament that that is going to unfold what that looks like. Here's where he goes with this. Look at verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. So what, what's happening here is, is uh, if you're new to Christianity or you're not a Christian, is we believe that there are, there are two, two major covenants. So the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was set up to look forward to Jesus' coming. And God gave His people a specific set of things that they needed to follow and to observe. And there's a ton of reasons for that that I can't cover all today. But if you want to buy me coffee, I mean, if I want to, I'll buy you coffee. And uh, I would love to explain that. So uh, don't let that scare you. But that old covenant, uh, which Paul's going to refer to as the slave woman here. Okay. And then there's this new covenant where Jesus comes. And everything I explained at the beginning of the message where he comes to this earth, lives the life that you couldn't live, dies the death that you couldn't die rises to life so that you could have life. 
But all of that, in all of that, there's this reality of this new covenant that God makes with his people. So that's the backdrop. So here, here's where it goes. Verse 23. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. If you in this moment believe that you have to do something to earn favor with God, Paul says you are in slavery to an old covenant. This is my greatest fear for those of us that are still walking in Catholicism. That for all of the good that Catholicism brings, there is this huge part that that it's grace plus something that the Bible simply says is not true. That to believe that you bring anything to the table would be to be in slavery to an old covenant. One that God has already fulfilled. Verse 25. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Verse 26. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. Listen, if if you've never done church before you this is like all really weird to you i understand but this is so significant that that old covenant is fulfilled that in this new covenant there's this new jerusalem there's this new place that god is building for his people and the only thing that is necessary to get in it is to trust in a promise you see because it takes faith To find your way into the family of God. That you have to trust that promise. So what is the promise? If you weren't here a few weeks ago. God comes to Abraham. Who is a hundred years old. And says I am going to make you into a great nation. And Abraham was a hundred. And his wife was ninety. And they had been barren or unable to have children. For all ninety years of her life. And so when God comes and says, I'm going to make you a great nation, they collectively laugh in the face of God and make their own plan. And it was a terrible plan. And if you're married, you'll understand why this is a terrible plan. What they do is they take Sarah's uh, servant, Sarah's slave, and she sleeps with Abraham and they make an heir and his name is Ishmael. They didn't fully trust that God could deliver on what he promised. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've never bowed the knee to Jesus because you're not sure that God can fully deliver 
on the promise that this book makes. You're just not sure if he's real. Abraham and Sarah weren't totally convinced that God could deliver on the promise. But wouldn't you know that because God likes to do things in ways that blow our minds, that Sarah did in fact have a child. And out of that line of children and through that heritage and through the nation that God built, the nation of Israel, out of Isaac, his son, through that line came Jesus Christ. Jesus was born as a descendant of Abraham. And when the promise was made to Abraham in Genesis that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his line, that's what was being talked about. That Jesus was going to come and set people free. So all of that is happening there. And, And here's what he says. You are like Isaac, children of promise. At that time, the son being born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. What does all of that mean for you? Why is all of that in there? Why would Paul write all of that to these followers of Jesus? Why is it there? Because we have a tendency to want to taste things that are not from God. We have a tendency to want to return to our sin or to move into religious activity. As opposed to staying in a relationship with God. That's the simplest way that I know how to put that. Because... What Paul is doing here is he's, he's taught us for three chapters doctrinally. He's laid out what the truth is. But then he comes and he, he gets on his knees before us. And like children, he, he reminds us that you have a decision to make. You can walk back into slavery. Or you can move forward into freedom. And that choice is true whether you are a Christian or not a Christian. It just has different implications. If you're not a Christian, it has eternal implications. And I don't want you to leave here today without knowing that it has eternal implications, that hell is a real place. It's not just a curse word. And God doesn't slam dunk anybody into hell. You make the decision to walk away from Jesus. Because in this moment, you're being presented with the opportunity for freedom. But Paul reminds the people where they were and how they got here. And then at the end of the chapter, he reminds them who they are. He says, brothers and sisters, we're not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. What does that that look like? I want to jump you over to Ephesians chapter 2. 
And I just want to read the first ten verses. And, and if you've never heard this in total, this ought to change your life. Because we're, we're going to see here, what, what does it look like when those big doctrines become reality in your life? What does it look like when those big truths come down to earth? Here, here's what it says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's the gospel. What does the gospel do in your life? This is Jesus now getting on his knee and looking you in the eye as a son or daughter of God and saying this to you, for we are God's handiwork. You are my handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus, created in me to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul reminds the Galatians and the Ephesians in this text who they are and how they got there and why that's important. You know, if Satan can keep you praying, singing, and serving for the wrong reason, then he's got you right where he wants you if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, if Satan can keep you pursuing the pleasures of this world when the truth is right here in front of you, then he's doing all he needs to do. But my encouragement to you in this moment is to pray that God would show you how to walk in his grace. That if you're not a Christian, that God would grant to you to walk towards his grace. And if you are a Christian, how to walk in that grace. See, because grace that goes in always goes out. Grace that goes in always messes things up and moves its way out. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. None of us are perfect. That's why we need grace. But God's prepared good work for us to do. And we need to be a part of it. We need to be about it matters because we're headed for a new place a new Jerusalem heaven and so we're not living for earthly pleasure we're longing for a heavenly home 
and it changes us. Only the Holy Spirit can get us there. We're naturally selfish with our money, with our time, with our talents. We're naturally selfish. And we need God to show us how to walk in His grace. The next two prayers come out of that middle section. As we kind of think about those bookends and all that was there that Paul was communicating theologically through those about freedom and slavery and the choice that we make to to walk in that and the help that we need from God to walk in His grace. There's two other things that come out of that that Paul talks about here. The first one is this, prayer number two, God, help us to trust in Your Word. Help us to trust in Your Word. Look at verse 12. Here's Paul talking to the Galatians, he says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that If you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? So follow the flow there. Paul became like the Galatians in order to lead them to Christ. Think about it. As a Jewish man, he set aside his rituals and his customs and his holy days and all the things that... He would have been following in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and things that he was comfortable with and enjoyed and preferred. He set all of those preferences aside so that he could reach this area with the gospel. Let me ask you a question if you're a Christian in this place. For the sake of those that are not Christians, for the sake of the person that is not in this room yet, Are you willing to set aside your preferences of what this place looks like and what this place acts like and what your city group looks like and what your city group acts like and how you go about your business from Monday to Saturday so that the lost people around you can come to Christ? Are you willing to do that? You see, because notice that the persecution, the enemies that Paul's talking about here, aren't coming from outside of the church. They're coming from inside the church. Paul says, there was a time where you would have ripped your eyeball out of your head. Like, think about that. Just stick your hand right in here and think about that. We've got some doctors in the room. They'll tell you, that'll hurt. You don't need a doctor to tell you to hurt. Evan, you don't even tell me that's going to hurt, man. That's going to hurt. Paul's like, you would have ripped your eyeball out and given it to me if I needed it. And now all of a sudden, I'm calling you back to the truth of God? And I've somehow become an enemy? I've somehow become an enemy of the, of the truth? Let me say it to you this way. Nothing upsets Christians more than setting aside our religious practices to win the lost. And if you've been in church for a long time, you know that to be true. 
Stories of church splits are wide and far. And in verse 17, Paul wants us to know that it's the religious that are actually leading people to hell. We need the Holy Spirit to help us trust in His Word and what it says when it isn't easy, popular, or practical to the religious. If you're not a Christian today and you find yourself in here, I want you to know that at Redeemer we're praying that because we want you to experience freedom. Because we have tasted and seen that God is good. And we want nothing more than for you to see that. We need to trust the Word even when it radically adjusts our thoughts or exposes our blind spots. And then finally, number three, prayer number three, God grant us passion for your purpose. We need the Holy Spirit to grant us passion for his purpose. Look at verse 17. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone. Because I am perplexed about you. If you're a parent, you ever just look at your kids and you're like, I am perplexed about you. Maybe I need to change my tone. Maybe I need a different strategy here. You can just feel Paul's heart here, can't you? You're like, what happened? Every parent in the room, what happened? (laughs) Where did I go wrong? You can just hear the pain of Paul's voice. And with all that foundation laid, what Paul is saying and what I need to say is that passion for the things of God is not a bad thing at all. In fact, it's the natural and good response to you being a child of God. We're praying every week at Redeemer that God would fan into flame the passion for His purpose in your life. If you're not a Christian, we're praying every week that God would draw you to Himself and He'd use this place to do it. That this would be the place where you found good news, where you were set free. And even Paul himself here is in the pains of childbirth, serving the churches in this region to bring them back to the Gospel, to see Christ formed in them. If you're a Christian and you're not passionate for the things of God at a heart level, then I beg you to beg God to intervene. That He would send the Spirit of His Son into your heart crying, Abba, Father. That you would be radically transformed because what you don't need more of is information. What you need more of is heart transformation. Because as you adjust and as God the Holy Spirit adjusts your heart, And gives you passion for His purpose. You'll begin to live your life differently. You'll begin to hate the things that God hates. You'll begin to hate the sin in your life that God hates. 
And by the way, God hates that sin. Because it's drawing you back into slavery where he never intended you to go. It'll change the way you see other people. Maybe you'll see them for their soul instead of for their skin. And we could go on and on and on, but when God begins to put His passion in your heart for His purpose, your life will begin to change. For some of you, the changes that need to be made in your life is just to simply begin to do the things that God's told you to do and pray that your feelings will follow. See, because for some of you, you've either been doing this for so long or you've never been a part of it that you need to get out there and you need to begin to serve other people so that you can taste that God is good. That maybe moving things off of me and onto them, my focus, will change things for you. You see, because the Bible is full of promises like Jeremiah 29.13 that says, if you seek God with all your heart, you will find Him. So if you can't see God today, let me encourage you to ask Him to give you passion for His purpose. If you can't see God today, ask Him to help you trust in His Word so that your mind would change. Or that you would learn how to walk in His grace. That it would move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Maybe you need to join a city group and just get the ball rolling on your spiritual life. And then Paul says a really important part of it too, and maybe this is for somebody. He says that you need to have passion for God's purpose when nobody else is around. What does he say there? He says, he says it's fine to be zealous and not just when I'm with you. Don't just put on a show when, when we're together. What's your integrity like? What, are, are you passionate for the things of God when we're not there? Do you hate sin when we're not there? Do you love Jesus when we're not there? Paul is pleading with them. To pursue God. And what we want to do in this moment. Is plead with you. To pursue God. 